Welcome to another podcast from the Yale Pediatrics Junior Faculty Workgroup. My name is Kathleen Corbin. I'm a pediatric rheumatologist and assistant professor in pediatrics. And I'm Frances Chang. I am a pediatric hospitalist and instructor in pediatrics. Today, we are joined by Dr. Marietta Vasquez, who is an associate professor of pediatrics in the section of general pediatrics and pediatric infectious disease. She is vice chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Marietta, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Today's objectives are to learn more about initiatives in diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Department of Pediatrics, to learn ways junior faculty can promote these values and understand resources available for people who feel they may be experiencing bias or discrimination. Marietta, could you start by explaining the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion for our listeners? Yes. um, The simplest way to, to think about it is to think um, of terms that are directly linked to the overall mission of the Department of Pediatrics. As pediatricians, we want to provide excellent care. We want to be advocates for our patients, and we want to engage in research. And really, to, to be able to do that fully, we need all three terms. So diversity is really who is here, how... Um, different are we, and our difference is all part of the department. Um, how we are all treated is the term that I like to, how I like to think of, um, of equity, that everybody in the department, everybody in the community deserves equal treatment. And then in terms of inclusion is, are we all part of that mission? And it is not until we have all those three things that I think we can truly fulfill the mission of the of the department and why that's important i think it's probably a, a very important question is that this is not just something that one or two institutions or groups value but that there are ample data to show that the more diverse the groups are the better their outcomes great thanks for explaining that Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your path to becoming vice chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Uh, Yeah, so I'm an underrepresented minority, as the traditional term implies. I'm uh, originally from Puerto Rico. I'm Hispanic, and I've been here in the institution for about 25 years. I was uh, an undergraduate at Yale, uh, an intern, a resident, a fellow, junior faculty, and now more of a senior faculty member. And I would say that my path, uh, I view it in two ways. One was extremely organic. It just sort of over the last 25 years, I think, it um, it just flowed on its own based on my background, my experiences, a role that in some ways I think or I view that I was already fulfilling for about eight years. I was associate program director, so I had a lot of interaction with trainees at different um, stages in in their in their career so I think in and then as I progressed in my own career from research moving into global health doing work in underserved communities becoming much more involved with refugees and immigrants here in the US working with community centers 
um, in New Haven and elsewhere, it sort of made sense that both from my background and my experiences, diversity, equity, and inclusion were things that, that I felt were very important to me, that I was already part of, and and uh, and and that was that I was already playing a role in it. So that's the part that I call organic. But it was also very intentional because I think it was sort of a meeting of the planets. Um, diversity was a topic that was simply not mentioned when I was in training. And now the conversation is much more open. I think it was a very opportune time. And I took the opportunity. I realized that there is expertise to be gained, that I had a lot to learn, but also a lot of um, um, experiences to to share and 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 that could benefit so so it's very much a, a leadership position that I that I sought but having said that it's very intentional but it's also very humbling I see it as a as a service opportunity um, as sort of being an instrument to to help others have perhaps a a richer and different experience from the experiences that minorities in, insti- in medical institutions had 20 years ago. Great. What are some of your top priorities as vice chair? So um, when, I, when I put together what I thought diversity, equity, and inclusion should look like in, in pediatrics, I did that using an acronym, and I called it DREAM, and I love how the word, the word came out. The D is for diversity, the R for recruitment, um, the E for education, the A for advocacy, both within the pediatric department and outside. And the M is for maintenance or what we call retention. And those are the, the as a whole, the goals of the, of the office to both maintain and support the diverse faculty and when I say faculty, it's really the department. It, the, the office includes faculty at all levels, trainees, fellows, and residents, uh, and medical students and staff. But primarily, it's both to, to support and to, and to retain. And the, the area where I think we want and, and we are very inclusive is that we don't just stay within sort of the traditional way of defining diversity, which is based on race, gender, um, and ethnicity, but we also include socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender identity, religious um, commitment, physical abilities, and varied backgrounds and life experiences. So we want to be incredibly broad. It's a mouthful. It's a lot, um, but it's and it's definitely a work in a work in progress. But it's um, that's pretty much our our goal to to fulfill that dream. Mm-hmm. That's great. And you mentioned some of these already. But what are some of the ways the department is working to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion? And how do these tie into the broader initiatives of the School of Medicine and the university? Yeah. So um, this year, primarily, we started with two main areas. And the first one was very explorative, talking to 
to various groups and finding out what works, what doesn't, what doesn't work. So very exploratory. And, and the other one is really retention because I firmly believe that f- to be successful in recruiting new individuals who will help us enhance the diversity in the department, the first step is allowing the those who are already here to to be happy. So I've spent the majority of this past year, my sort of inaugural year, talking to people and supporting uh, mostly trainees. That's the main one. And the other one is through education. We've held many educational sessions, both large in large didactic groups to talk about things like microaggression, unconscious bias, race, in the, in the workplace, and then in a smaller group scale that is, I think, just as effective, if not more effective, to get small groups talking about the interaction, the role that race, gender, ethnicity, um, different abilities play in, in, the, in, the, in the workplace. We've also had sort of social events, both with trainees and faculty. My goal is to really get people talking. We're, we're an expanding department. In my time in the Department of Pediatrics, the department has more than doubled. And it, when it gets to be so large, it's wonderful. But the downside is that we don't get to know each other. And I'm a firm believer of conversation. So even having smaller social events where people can sort of sit down and, and have conversations is good. And how that ties in with belonging at Yale, well, the, the more we feel that people care, not only as us as professionals, but us as individuals, that the institution cares not only about how many patients I see, but who I am and and what I bring to the department as a whole, I think that will definitely help in the term belonging. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned a couple of times um, retention. Um, so I just wondered if... Um, is it a problem in our department that um, diverse um, members of the department are leaving, for example? And if so, sort of, do we know why or where they're going? It is not a new problem. I'll start by saying that. It's, it, and, and it is not just a problem of underrepresented minorities. It's a problem with women in particular in, in academic medicine. And it's, it's been well described nationally, especially with, um, with more of the traditional underrepresented minorities, that it's a pyramid. And the majority of us um, stay in the entry-level positions, and as that pyramid becomes higher, it becomes narrower. And unfortunately, the, um, the, the outlet or the exit from from minorities is much larger than than from than from other groups what are what are the reasons we haven't studied them specifically we haven't done exit interviews for people for people who leave i think it's something that that we should be that we should be doing but um hopefully my hope is that specifically with underrepresented minorities as and and with diversity as as we describe it, if we're better post at supporting perhaps um, that exit will will cease. But it's 
as I said, it's it's a problem everywhere, and it's one that we we haven't been able to we haven't been able to solve. Um, to sort of shift gears a little bit, um, you've been hosting training sessions about unconscious bias. Could you explain what that term means and why it's important to have those trainings? Absolutely. Uh, unconscious bias. The best way that I can describe it is. When you're standing and somebody's coming towards you, it's the picture in your mind, that movie, that idea that you create of the person that com- that's coming towards you without knowing absolutely anything about them. That's unconscious bias. It is not good. It is not bad. It is nature. It exists. But just for the mere fact that it exists, it doesn't mean that we can't control it. Unfortunately, unconscious biases can really limit our ability to include individuals, to to create relationships with them. And, and, and as I said, it's not good or bad. Sometimes it's the way we were raised. Our mothers and fathers wanted us to be safe, so they said, don't talk to people who don't look like you or, or don't talk to people who, who, you don't, who you don't know. These are sessions are geared towards talking about what it is, identifying when it happens, identifying how unconscious biases can prevent you from caring for patients in a way that is equitable and inclusive, and from building relationships and what we can do towards them. And sometimes it's as simple as acknowledge and pause, just pause before you move away, before you go into an elevator and grab onto your purse because there's somebody that in your mind you already made that movie that that person's going to is going to rob you. Take a pause and think. Generalize. What about that person is leading me to to think that way? So a lot of interesting things with regard to unconscious bias. The other area of training that we work on are microaggressions or what I like to call uh, veiled aggressions. I don't like the word micro because there's nothing micro about them. For the person in the receiving end, it could be a bomb going off. And these are small remarks or actions or omissions that we make Consciously or unconsciously, willingly or unwillingly, whether we mean to or or not, that are that are hurtful towards others, and these happen all the time. Um, for example, if you have three or four different people in your workplace who are who speak another language, um, you might confuse the two and call one person for the other person's name or make fun of somebody's accent, thinking, well, your accent is so cute, you sound so funny. And it's things that in our experiences, we don't think it's a big deal. But if you try to put yourself in the other person's shoes, they go through life hearing this over and over and over again. So there might be small things that we can do to really improve the uh, the environment. And it starts by having conversations. During the training sessions, we sit and we say, well, it's talk about that. Does it happen? How else do you think you can um, you can approach these or minimize them? So um, would you be comfortable sharing some of your own experiences overcoming bias or discrimination as a Latina and a woman in medicine? I'll take, I guess, a different approach to that, to that 
question. And rather than, I mean, I assume it was sort of meant for me to share instances where I was discriminated against. I would say the biggest learning uh, opportunities for me are completely the opposite. It's It's the times when I've realized that just by the mere fact of being an underrepresented minority, being a woman, being a Latina, having my first language be different from the language spoken here in the in the United States does not immediately make me culturally sensitive. Um, I have confused names of people. I have I am the perpetrator of microaggressions at times n- not realizing that that I that I was. So um, for me, these are incredibly humbling, difficult experiences, but but learning ones. And I like to share them because I I don't want um, departmental members to to think that uh, movements and and um, new programs like diversity, equity, and inclusion are there to get anybody. No, um, it's really for all of us to have conversations, to, to, to engage in a lot of introspection and, and, think, about, and think about that and, and to realize that we're all in the same boat. I'm, I, I do this also. Throughout my training, of course, I mean, my name has been butchered. And I, it, when I was a resident, I would respond to anything that started with an M pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I was once, as an intern, I went into the room of a patient, a cardiology patient, and the father told me that I couldn't take care of his child. He asked me where I had gone to medical school. He basically asked me for his CV, for my CV. And when he heard that I came from Puerto Rico, he said he wanted somebody else to take care of his child. Um, Those were other times. But even then, that was 25 years ago, and I tell you, my attending went right back in there and told that father, well, she is the doctor who's going to take care of your son or you can take your child elsewhere. So, um, you know, there are lots of stories like that, and these things happened before and continue to happen now. And just like over the years, I've had people who really stood up. That is um, something that we strive for, that it doesn't matter where you, who you are. Um, and what it, what your responsibility is in the workplace or outside the workplace that that we stand up and we say something and it could be as simple as gosh you know this interaction went wrong I really don't know what to say I feel uncomfortable but if you don't say anything then you're just feeding the fire if you don't know what to say just say ouch and that's what we say in, in training <laughs> if you don't know what to say just say ouch and that <laughs> makes people pause and go oh. What ha- what happened? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a really yeah, that's a really good sort of tool for people simple to just one. have that exactly yeah. a nice simple tool. Um, do you have advice about how junior faculty members in particular can work to increase diversity and inclusion in the department? Come to the training sessions. Um, I'm we are in the works. There's already a pediatric residency diversity council. I'm putting together a pediatric faculty diversity council. Uh, join it. Call me. <laughs> email me. Um, and come to the trainings. Um, if if you want to help ensue change, join the diversity council. It's not going to require a lot of your time. It you will 
you will gain knowledge and, and expertise. Never think that your voice is not important. Just as in the example that I was giving before on when there is a, an issue of these veiled aggressions where you know things are wrong and you say, well, but I'm a junior faculty, I'm not going to say anything. I think, I think that time has ceased. I think that's a thing of the past. We need to, we need to speak up. Sometimes you might not feel comfortable doing that uh, on your own. That's okay. Pick up the phone, text me, email me. There is an entire list of people that you can that you can reach out to. That's a way to ensue change. The simplest one for a faculty member is do what you do best. Think of who you are, where you came from, what makes you different. It doesn't mean that you need to be an underrepresented minority or fit into any of the groups that, that I spoke about. Our differences are should be celebrated. Our differences make our department and our communities better. So think of what makes you different. And rather than try to hide it, I would say celebrate it and bring it back and try to teach those, those around you. When uh, house staff and trainees and any applicant come by, ask them about diversity. Ask uh, interviewees, so tell me about diversity. What does that mean for you? Um, what are you doing to improve the climate and to include equi equity and, and inclusion in, in your department? When you're rounding with residents and medical students and your colleagues, when you're presenting cases in your departments, address this. It, can, it needs to stop being an accessory. Think of diversity, equity, and inclusion, social justice, social determinants of health when you're presenting a case, when you're talking about um, when you're talking about when you're talking about a candidate, and by including that language in your everyday work as junior faculty, you will be doing so much more than ninety percent of the senior faculty are doing. That's great. And you shared a couple ways um, for junior faculty to get involved. Um, are there program leadership or scholarship opportunities for junior faculty members who are interested in getting more involved in these issues? Definitely. So, you know, again, I think joining the Diversity Council would be great. I'm very interested in curriculum. So we are going to be holding 30 noon conferences throughout the year for the trainees on, on diversity. I'm, I can't do all 13. And even if I could, it wouldn't be great for the residents to hear everything from one person. So that would be a way to, to get involved. Um, I have the curriculum. It's case-based. So it wouldn't necessarily require a faculty member to develop curriculum. We can do this together and, and already have some, some cases. Um, leading some of the training sessions also, um, that's another way to get involved. If in your scholarly activity you you want to to include issues uh, of you know health disparities, et cetera. Right now, I don't. In the future, I would love to have funds, seed funds, that would support junior faculty members who want to start making this project. So that I would say that would be for the for the for the future. And the other thing is uh, lectures. There, you know, there are plenty of lectures to give to medical students and other and other trainees. So those are some of the opportunities. 
Um, where can junior faculty members go if they feel they are facing bias or discrimination at work? It's a, it's a very important question and, and one that I get asked often. So the, the benefit to being a faculty member is you belong to two main groups, to the hospital and to the medical school. And the resources come from both sides and both are available to junior faculty. Starting in our department, I'm available 24-7. You can call me. You can text me. You can email me. Um, we have the Office of Diversity in Pediatrics has an, uh, an email that comes centrally. And, and if you want the message to be completely anonymous, just you want to notify something, that, that can be done. You have your senior faculty, your section chiefs, vice chairs, the chairman, who is an incredible advocate and supporter of this, you know, of, of, of the Office of um, Diversity. At the level of the medical school, you have Darren Lattimore, who is the chief diversity officer and deputy dean for diversity issues. There's the ombudsman. And then in terms of the hospital, there's Lisa Martinez, who's the Darren Lattimore at the level of the hospital. There is a faculty office where you can report issues um, and also the ombudsman at the level of the, of the hospital. So I think the resources, the, the people to, to go to when there are issues um, are there. One of the most important things is to remember that we are all bound to privacy. So everything that gets reported is completely um, private and will work with you, um, will obviously encourage you if there is if there's true discrimination to to work with you to try to move it forward to, so that we can ensue change. But things that are discussed are completely private, and if the person coming up to us does not want it to move forward, we, we don't. So I think that's, that's also very important. There are lots of people that you can go talk to, but everybody pretty much will respect privacy. Okay, great. So it sounds like there are a lot of resources, actually, a lot of places for people to go. Um, a couple things you mentioned that maybe we could just highlight. Um, you mentioned that your office has an email. Mm -hmm. um, could you maybe just um, say what the email address is? It, it is pedsdiversity at yale.edu. Okay, great. I have to recheck that because I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll hand. double check. <laughs> double check. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you so much for that wonderful discussion. Is there Before we end our discussion, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, thank you very much for uh, having this and uh, just to encourage everybody to come to our didactic sessions and to get involved. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today.